Support for this episode comes from Lexus. What emotion fits in the palm of your hand? Can you wield the power of gravity? What does exhilaration sound like? Only Lexus asks questions like these because they believe the most amazing machines aren't inspired by machines. They're inspired by you. Not only has Lexus asked these questions, they've answered them. Discover the answers at Lexus.com curiosity. Lexus. Experience amazing. Our most intimate experience can be our greatest inspiration. The place where ideas are born. But what if those ideas stay in hiding? What if they never have the chance to be shared? This show creates a safe space for giving talks anonymously. We value ideas over identity, substance over style. You cannot talk publicly about it. impacted my whole life. I just don't have the constitution to get up on a stage and give a talk. From TED and Audible, this is Sincerely X. I'm June Cohen, a longtime host and curator for TED. And today's speaker has spent the last 30 years inside some of America's most successful companies, first as an executive and then as a leadership consultant. She's worked with hundreds of firms and sees them repeating the same mistakes over and over again, particularly when it comes to achieving gender balance in their ranks. She's about to tell us about some of those mistakes. But first, let me tell you about her. This is a speaker who travels the world. She's in and out of boardrooms, on and off stages. The professional recording studio we used for Sincerely X was a lot more familiar to her than it is to some of our speakers. As soon as she arrived, it was clear she felt right at home. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk for a little while before you talk. Okay. We'll just relax as much as one can. I'm really good at talking, so no problem there. I know this about you, and I love it. (laughs) Our studio is in a pretty obscure location in New York City, and I worried that she might have trouble finding it. No. Yeah, I I can, you know, navigate Bombay with, like, out a cell phone, so I'm good, yeah. And that sums her up. Capable, worldly, funny, busy. She has a great career, lots of clients, lots of work, and also no hesitation about speaking up. So what made her answer Ted's call for submissions? I remember it crystal clearly. Um, I had just left a client of mine who had asked me to come and do a keynote presentation around courageous leadership for women to their women's initiative organization. And of course, they had no budget. Of course, they were doing everything on a shoestring. Of course, it was another CEO getting up in front of the room doing this horrific introduction of the program. He hadn't prepared his thoughts. He hadn't even thought through the messages he should be giving to the women. It was very condescending. It was, you know, everything he could have done wrong was wrong. And this is a pretty good guy, right? Well-intentioned guy. And I was just furious about it. And I got on the plane, and one of the first things that popped into my inbox was the submission form. And because it was anonymous, I felt so comfortable, and I did it in the moment. The Sincerely X submission form arrived in the speaker's inbox just as she was fuming over this well-intentioned but underprepared CEO at a well-intentioned but underfunded women's leadership event. 
this disconnect was for her the symptom of a larger problem. In her two decades of consulting, she's seen scores of companies wring their hands over the lack of women in senior roles, but fail to take steps that actually make progress. When I left corporate, you know, again, 20 years ago, I assumed that in 20 years, for heaven's sake, this would be over. You know, we would have gender equality. There would be 250 female CEOs and 250 male CEOs, or approximately that, in the Fortune 500. And as I've witnessed in the past five years, this getting worse and worse and worse. What she'll share with us today are the unvarnished mistakes she sees company after company make as they try to create a balance of men and women among their leadership ranks. The talk is being given anonymously, and her voice may have been changed to protect her anonymity. And now, the talk. It's 1989, and I've just walked into the office of a typical corporate CEO of the time. I'm in the outsized waiting area with desks for not one, but two administrative assistants, bookending ridiculously large mahogany doors that allow you entry into the CEO's inner sanctum. I was already a successful senior executive, and I'd been asked to interview for a plum senior role at another organization. As you are wont to do on a big interviewing day, I arrived early to find a completely empty waiting area and the dull murmur of voices from the inner office. About 10 minutes into my wait, a man about my age popped his head out of the inner sanctum, looked out at the two empty admin desks, and promptly set his sights on me. Without skipping a beat and assuming there couldn't possibly be any other reason a woman was sitting out there, He asked if I could get coffee for the CEO and his team. That situation wasn't all that exceptional for a female senior executive like me in the 1980s. In the moment, I simply bit my tongue, cheerfully asked, for how many? And went in search of the kitchen. I returned with the tray, knocked on the door, taking the tray directly to the CEO. He did a classic double take, quickly realizing just who had been asked to bring him his coffee. Yep, his soon-to-be interviewing Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing. As you can imagine, the CEO was horrified. He quickly adjourned his meeting, asked for my forgiveness, and sat me down to tell me why this singular event should actually convince me to come and work for him on his team. He knew in 1989 the lack of gender diversity was a problem. Now, that story might seem like a relic from a time gone by, but sadly, today's reality for women within corporations isn't much better than it was in 1989. Despite the widespread realization that gender diversity is critical to business success, and despite well-intentioned efforts of a few top executives, women just aren't making it into the highest levels of our corporations. And it got me to wondering, why? For the last 30 years, I've worked as a leadership consultant with hundreds of companies of all sizes and across a variety of industries. And while my focus is solely on leadership and not gender equality, what I've observed over and over is that companies make three mistakes when they approach the challenge of increasing women in their leadership ranks. Over the past three decades, I've talked with literally thousands of leaders who realize that creating gender equality at every level within the organization isn't just a nice thing to do, 
but an absolute business imperative. What that CEO knew intuitively in 1989 has been extraordinarily well-documented since. Study after study shows that no matter how you torture the data, having women in the C-suite creates higher profitability, period. And yet, women are no better off in organizations than we were 30 years ago. In fact, things are so dismal for women at the highest levels of organizations that a recent study revealed that there are more CEOs in the S&P 1500 named John than there are women CEOs. So if this opportunity is so great, the results of creating gender equity at the highest levels of organizations so positive, why isn't it happening? The first mistake is the failure to approach this business problem with business metrics. Good intentions don't fix systemic problems. If you've got a business issue that threatens your company's ability to be successful, you need a business framework to solve it. I was recently working with a senior executive who was faced with a major disruption in his industry. His first step, as it would be for many of us, was to build a team of the best and the brightest within his company to create a solution to the problem. Not to discuss the disruption, or to begin to create a plan, or to shake their heads sadly of the problem's difficulty, but to actually solve it. They had a deadline, the financial and people resources to work the solution, and most importantly, they were held accountable for the results. That's not the usual route taken in today's corporations to address the issue of gender equality. Women's initiatives in particular are generally coordinated by a few passionate individuals who put together programs outside of their day jobs. Good intentions are nice, but they simply aren't enough. I have good intentions of going to the gym three times a week, and I think we all know how that intention works out. Real change requires real commitment with real consequences when we don't live up to it. Imagine the difference if every corporate CEO and leader below them made a commitment, a public goal, to create 50-50 gender parity at every level within their organization in the next three years. Imagine how their actions and those of their leaders would change literally overnight. Most would dedicate significant budgets, resources, and people to the issue, just as they would any other publicly stated goal of their organization. The second mistake I see is placing the responsibility of women's initiatives with the human resources department. I believe human resources may well be the problem and not the solution. There are forward-thinking leaders in HR doing great work around the globe to build and sustain a talented workforce. But for many companies, the essential role of HR is to keep the organization out of trouble. They're in charge of compensation, benefits, policies, and compliance that, for the most part, focus on creating consistency across the organization. Said another way, HR is highly invested in ensuring the culture itself remains the same. I personally know many highly effective HR leaders, but I also know very few who are willing to create the kind of essential disruption that would be needed to finally break the bad habits of their cultures in order to create a higher-performing, gender-equal company. 
True disruption on this issue would include ensuring every leader in every functional area had a gender equality goal as part of their performance scorecard. This holds every leader accountable just as they would be for every single other goal that they own. Unless you know where the end zone is, it's really hard to run into it. Which brings me to the third mistake organizations make. Many people are talking about unconscious bias, but not arming people with the actual tools to combat it. I believe unconscious bias is literally killing our ability to create innovative teams and companies. Trying to address gender inequality without directly addressing unconscious bias is like trying to drive a car on the freeway with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. 30 years ago, discrimination may have stemmed from more blatant sexism, like my coffee moment with the CEO. But it's the unconscious bias, the invisible judgments and assumptions that we make that we don't even know we have that are holding us back today. I was recently working with a CEO who's put some serious thought into how to address the gender disparity he sees in his own company. He and his team were having a talent discussion about the possible promotion of a very successful, high-performance leader who just happened to be a woman. At one point, the CEO actually asked his leadership team, but how will her family feel about her traveling as much as she'll need to? This incredibly well-intentioned CEO asked a question, that simply would never be asked about a male candidate. Unconscious bias affects all of us, both men and women. And for leaders in particular, it impacts our ability to effectively seek out people different from ourselves. These unconscious biases lurk not just within our companies, but across our industries and our culture as a whole. If we're ever to truly tackle our unconscious bias, we first have to recognize it when we see it. Then we have to adopt a radical organization-wide leadership policy, much like if you see something, say something. We've spent a great deal of time talking about unconscious bias, but not much time actually doing anything to help those same biases come out of the closet into the conscious world so we can address them. We are all victims of our unconscious biases, and just like any other bad habit, it takes attention to break it. Imagine if every employee and leader within the organization was equipped with training not just about unconscious bias, but the leadership and communication skills to positively and proactively call out the behavior. That CEO I mentioned earlier was surrounded by his closest confidants in the business who knew his intention as it related to gender equality, and yet not a single one of them, including his chief HR officer, was ready to step up and call him out in the moment. If, on the other hand, this well-intentioned CEO had made a public commitment to create 50-50 gender parity within every level of his organization, and it was on each leader's scorecard as a metric, my bet is his team would have been much more comfortable calling out his bias in that very moment. Many women and men spend time deciding which battles to fight on the issue of gender equality. However, if we ever truly want to engage all of the talent within our organizations, 
We have to find a way to create organizational cultures that demand diverse teams. And as importantly, have the courageous leaders in place to disrupt the status quo. The question is, what are you willing to do about the lack of gender equality within your own organization? Are you willing to courageously ask the questions that need asking to ensure there's a business frame around the issue? Are you willing to ask your senior leaders to make a public pledge to build 50-50 equality within the next three years? Are you willing to call out unconscious bias when you see it and help others do the same? Man or woman, leader or employee, to make this change, it's gonna take all of us. There's a wonderful Native American saying that says we are the leaders that we've been waiting for. And I believe we are, if we have the courage to be. This speaker is offering each of us a challenge. What are you willing to do each day to close the gap between our good intentions and the world we see? What are you willing to do to create environments where both men and women rise to leadership? What gives me hope is that there are a lot of enlightened people out there. They might be struggling with how to address it, but, you know, I look at somebody like Justin Trudeau, who said, I'm going to have a 50-50 male-female cabinet. And he created a 50-50 male-female cabinet. You decide to do it, and you do it. And I think when we start to understand that the problem isn't that hard, it's actually that simple. It's anybody, male or female, looking around a board of directors and saying, hang on, 60% of our customer base is female. And I'm looking around this boardroom, and I see one woman. That's probably a problem. Might we think about doing that differently? Creating these organizational shifts begins with each one of us in the speaker's view. She followed a generation of women who fought hard for equal rights and sees a path to more progress in the simple act of speaking up. But it's not easy to start those conversations, and she's particularly worried about millennial women who she sees dropping out of the corporate world. Their vision and their intellect and their talent is necessary to keep business successful and to keep the country successful, to keep the world successful. Those voices are vitally important to everything. And if they're so beaten down so early, I worry that those voices are not just going to be lost in business, but they're going to be lost permanently. Now, I've spent my career in the strange bubble of startups like Wired and TED, which are pretty far from corporate life, and I haven't observed this myself. So I was curious about what our speaker has seen that worried her about millennials. When I grew up corporately, I knew from the moment, really from the moment I went into college, that I needed to have my dukes up. I needed to be ready for the battle, and I needed to have skills that enabled me to push back in a positive way, and to fend for myself to ensure that I got the opportunities that I deserved. So it's like, it's like training for a marathon. So I trained appropriately for the marathon because I knew the marathon was on my schedule. If tomorrow you asked me to run in a marathon, I don't think I'd be able to do it. And I think that's exactly what's happening to millennial women is all of a sudden this marathon is being sprung on them and they didn't train for it. And so when they get passed over for promotion and it makes no sense to them, they aren't trained in the skills that it takes to call out that leader and to sit down and have a productive conversation with them about why. 
baby boomer women were trained in all of that. And we had predecessors who helped us do that. So I think the millennials just don't have the tools so that when they hit the, the ceiling, they don't know what to do about it and they simply leave. This conversation around achieving gender balance in the workforce really isn't a women's issue. It's a business issue. And increasingly, it's one that everyone, women and men, agrees on. The best way to frame it up, she says, as a means to an end. Well, because everybody's in, this, in the business for the same reason. They want the company to be successful. Just as if, um, you know, if I'm a leader who has a bad habit of starting with negative feedback whenever I meet somebody, I would want somebody to call me out on that because it's not productive to me being able to be a good leader and for me to drive success in my company. So I think the common goal is obvious, but maybe needs to be stated, which is we're all trying to build businesses and teams that are successful and innovative and productive and proactive. And this is just one thing that we can do to help move that forward so much more quickly. As I talked to the speaker, I was struck by her composure. It's clear this is an issue she's been thinking about for a long time, and her experience lends such credibility. It left me wondering why she wanted to give the talk anonymously. If I were to give this talk, people would say, oh, she wants to sell us, you know, some kind of program to help us do this. But for me, the power in this is because it's uncoupled from my business and because it's uncoupled from a person or company, I think people will be more willing to share it because there's no agenda attached. So I think there's a huge value in that for the message. This talk's insider perspective and learn from our mistakes playbook is something I hadn't heard before. But there are a lot of TED Talks about the complex challenge of gender inequality. I particularly love Cheryl Sandberg's iconic talk from TED Women, which inspired her book Lean In. And then the talk from 2016 by Iceland's charismatic financial wizard turned politician Hala Tomasdottir. Her talk is called It's Time for Women to Run for Office. You can find both of them on TED.com. I'm June Cohen. Thank you for listening. On our next episode of Sincerely X. I felt as if my life was in shambles at my feet. I remember thinking while standing there in the shower with the water running so nobody would hear me cry. There has to be something here of value. You'll find new episodes of Sincerely X on channels in the Audible app. Original music on this program is composed by the Holiday Brothers with sound design and mix by Alex Trajano. The Sincerely X production team includes Chloe Shasha and Kelly Stetzel with help from Amy Eason and Barb Allen. Our executive producers are Darren Triff and Colin Campbell. Creative leadership comes from Chris Anderson at TED and Eric Newsom at Audible. From TED... And Audible, this is Sincerely X.